On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York. A much-needed win for the New York Yankees. Still, there was a whole lot of pain in the process. More pain for the Mets as they see their winning streak come to a close. And then you got a whole lot of basketball. The Nets moving on the round two. The Knicks trying to stay alive. We got you covered. We got a ton of listener voicemails. Knicks superfan Jerry Ferraro is going to join us. Adam Shine is going to join us. Loaded show. Where else would you rather be? New York, New York. Presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in to New York, New York. It's truly J.J. Johnson Stremski right here on The Ringer. By the way, happy birthday, happy anniversary, all that good stuff coming the way of my new home and my new employer. So I, I, I figure right out of the gate, a happy birthday edition of The Ringer. God bless. And to many more years. To many, many more years. And this festive mood that I am in would have been dampered dramatically if the Yankees had lost this game. And it's not even that I'm overly giddy with the Yankees finding a way to beat the Tampa Bay Rays in extra innings. It's not that. This is not like a pound your chest kind of day for the Yankees. It's more of a hallelujah, thank heavens, the Yankees snapped their losing skid, got a victory, and actually got a couple of hits in the process. Because the final few innings of this game did enough to make me blue in the face where I'm still kind of getting off of that as we speak. This is not a night to celebrate if you're a Yankee fan. This is a relief. This is not a night to celebrate. Because the same garbage that I've seen over the last week and a lot of the terrible baseball that in many ways I've seen for the first two months of this year has been on full display. Not being able to hit with runners in scoring position. Sloppy. Disgusting. Base running. You know, the Yankees lead baseball and get thrown out on the base pass. How in the world is that possible? Sanchez today, in the bottom of the eighth inning, gets a leadoff double. It is Little League stuff. 
the ball is in front of you on the left side of the infield, you retreat back to the base. Sanchez is running at third base saying, ah, no big deal. That is awful baseball. It's partially on the players. So, uh, you know, it's also partially on this coaching staff and on this manager because it continues to be a theme. It continues to be a case. That is something that absolutely needs to be corrected. It's a terrible brand of baseball. And I was not particularly pleased with the Yankee Brand Trust earlier today. And if you saw and you've been following me on Twitter, I think you know exactly where I'm going with this. Why in the world is John Carlos Stanton and Gleyber Torres out of the Yankee lineup against Tyler Glass now? Why is that the case? Somebody want to explain that to me? Stan just came off the IL. Stan sat out in Saturday's game. He needs another day off? Are we serious? The guy doesn't play the field. He's missed two and a half weeks. He's making $30 million a year, and it's a Yankee lineup that can't hit at all. I got to watch Mike Ford hack it up like it's a beer league softball game in the middle of New Jersey getting it back for the New York Yankees? Come on now. That's amateur hour nonsense. Especially when Stanton took glass now, Yahtzee, twice in the playoffs last season. No excuse for John Carlos Stanton not to be in the lineup. And I saw that our old buddy, Peter Gammons, took me to task for that on Twitter. Well, I gave it right back to Peter. Listen, Peter's a Hall of Fame columnist. The game might have passed him by a little bit. Let's call it like it is. I mean, you're going after me, you got to bring it. You can't come after me with some sort of douchey, passive-aggressive type tweet and then go run and hide. When I call it out and I give it right back to you, and if you want to go through the tweet exchange, have some fun on Twitter. I'm not going to detail it for everybody. It's very easy. You guys all follow me on Twitter, John underscore Jastrzemski. I saw this from Peter today. I said, well, I'm grateful that Peter's following my Twitter account and knows what the hell is going on. But then insinuate, oh, I didn't play and I didn't manage. So therefore, I can't question anything regarding the Yankees, their team, and their lineup. Take a walk with that. Take a walk. I ain't going to tolerate that. No way, no how. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. And I'm not trying to be a tough guy. That's not my act. But when you come at me, we're dropping the gloves. I don't care if I'm six foot nothing, 150 nothing. I'm dropping the gloves. That's how I roll. That's what we do. So I saw that today and I was guns to blazing. I basically stopped everything and I felt like I was, you know, hyping away, pinging away. Hate being that guy. But when I get called out and it's ridiculous and it's a bullshit narrative, yeah, I'm going after you on that. But thankfully, the Yankees salvaged my day. Frazier, you hope that's a home run that gets them going. Two thoughts on a Yankee lineup. One offensively, one defensively. I saw Gio Urshela sparkle at shortstop. He made two plays that, I got to be honest, I don't know if Gleyber Torres makes those plays. Do the Yankees think long and hard about moving LeMayu to third base, Urshela to shortstop, and Torres back to second. 
It's going to require getting Voight back to really consider it because I don't want to watch Mike Ford play day after day after day. But I'd be thinking about that if I'm the Yankees. Might make you a better defensive team. The other thing I need to see from the Yankees, Andujar, who is not homered in back-to-back games, he needs to play. Andujar is one of the few guys that's sitting in this lineup. He was the runner-up for the rookie of the year back in 2018. Ride him for two and a half, three weeks. If you're Aaron Boone and the Yankees, stick him in the lineup every damn day and let him hit. His defense in the outfield has actually been adequate. Andujar needs to play. We'll see if the Yankees can, I say minimum split these next two games. They got Cole going in one of the two. Be nice to win three out of four against Tampa, knowing you got the Red Sox coming in. Got to score runs. And got to play a better brand of baseball. They're pitching. They're doing that. Even out of the bullpen. Ludke and Sessa and the big guns. They're pitching great out of the bullpen. Their rotation's been fine. They got to hit better. They got to feel better. They got to run the bases better. So there's a lot to work on. Now, hats off to the Nets. I know the small contingent of Net fans are probably irate that I didn't lead with their team beating the Boston Celtics in the first round. But let's, let's get this and address it and, and get the elephant out of the room immediately. Anybody who thought the Nets were going to be in any trouble in this series doesn't know Jack, you know what about basketball, okay? The Celtics were completely overmatched in this series. They didn't have Jalen Brown. Kemba Walker missed time. Tatum went off and had a moment in game three. Sometimes we're going to toot our own horn on this podcast. Sometimes we're going to own the fact that we couldn't have been more wrong. And other times we're going to toot our own horn a little bit. I told you, Tatum will have a moment in this series and that'll be that. The Nets basically said after game three, enough is enough. We are the better team. Our big three is unstoppable and we're going to flex on you any chance we get. That's exactly what they did. Boston played hard in game five. They're not good enough. Brooklyn kind of intensified their effort and their execution when they saw Milwaukee go through the Miami Heat in four straight games. Because if you're Steve Nash, if you're Kevin Durant, if you're Kyrie Irving and James Harden, you know that team is waiting for you. And you don't want to be compromised going into what is going to be a heavyweight fight here in the second round. I can't wait to watch the Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. These are two teams that are on equal footing. Are the Nets better? Yes. Are the Nets more explosive? Yes. Milwaukee, though, is not the same Milwaukee they were a year ago. Giannis is playing at MVP level. Middleton can make shots when he needs to. And they're tougher. That, to me, is the bigger takeaway among... Anything else I've seen with Milwaukee over the last month, they got a little chutzpah to them. You know that? Bringing in P.J. Tucker. Bringing in Portis. They got bodies they can throw at you. This is going to be a lengthy series. I thought Brooklyn would get through Milwaukee with relative ease in the regular season. I have to admit, after what I've seen from the Bucs over the last month, I give Milwaukee a puncher's chance in this series. I'm going to pick Brooklyn. I'm going to take the more talented team. I thought about this. I even told Saruti over the weekend, I really want to pick Milwaukee. I do. And full disclosure, I'm rooting like crazy for Milwaukee. I will root for Milwaukee like they're my own team. Because I don't want to see the Nets win a title. I ain't sure coating this. I don't want to see Brooklyn with a parade. Hell no. 
I'll root against them basically in every series. And if they're playing the Lakers, which hopefully they're not, by the way, then man, I, then I got a roof on my bed. And I'm going to be miserable either way. So let's hope for my sanity. It's not a net Laker NBA final. I know the networks would drool all over it, but I don't want to be drooling all over it. No, thank you. It's a hard pass. It's a hard pass. But Nets Bucks are going to be a ton of fun. And the Bucks are alive in this series. We're going to have more time to talk about it as the days go on. To me, the Bucks are a live dog. And I think the series price will indicate as such. Now, the stage is set. Elimination day, perhaps, for the New York Knickerbockers on Wednesday. Or, do you live to die another day and get this series back to Atlanta for a game number six? And the talk today was all about Clint Capella, quote-unquote, poking the bear. That's what you heard All day, the idea of whether or not the New York Knickerbockers can be fired up over Clint Capella talking about a vacation, talking about pushing guys around, talking about talking all sorts of shit. This is one of those storylines that to me, if the Knicks ever came back and won this series, would get way too much attention. Derek Rose basically told you I'm 32 years old. I've never talked shit like that in my life. I'm too old for that. The Knicks come back and win this series. Clint Capella's never going to live it down. But if Atlanta wins, it's a whole lot to do about nothing. Hey, the Knicks have looked dead and dead in the last two games. Randall's been awful. The Knicks defense in guarding Atlanta from three has been awful. They haven't attacked Trey Young. The Knicks haven't shot it well. They haven't done anything right. If this is the sort of bulletin board material that Tibbs and the Knicks need to get them going, awesome. Great. Use it to your advantage for all I care. I, I, I would love it. I, I, I'd be as giddy as anybody if the Knicks can use the comments by Quint Capella as this quote-unquote rallying cry to extend their year and pull off a miracle here in this series. If the Knicks are offended about being called dirty, if the Knicks are offended about hearing about a vacation, go do something about it. The way I see it, if you're Derrick Rose, if you're Julius Randle, if you're R.J. Barrett, if you're any of the guys on this team, go and let your play do the talking. Unfortunately, for the first four games of this series, it has not. Or it's done the talking in a negative way. We've been outclassed, outplayed, and outworked here in this series. So, I hope this is a turning point. I really do. I hope we can circle back on these Capella comments in a week when we're talking about Nick Sixers in the second round. I wouldn't hold my breath. We got a loaded show. Before we get it all going, though, a voicemail right out of the gate? Yeah, I say so. Let's hear it. JJ, it's Gary from what Trump said. All right, here's, here's how the Knicks are going to win this series. And I know, I know the Knicks are down, but they're, they're not out. Uh, this has been the MO of the team all year. They've been counted out, but they haven't been out. So here's, here's what I'll come up with. Stick with the same plan in game five, which, um, worked pretty well in games one and two overall, given that Randall is terrible. Hope you get a better game from Randall like you did in four. And, and then hope that if you're up in the second half, the Hawks kind of just fold and, and, uh, you know, rest their guys for game six. Then in game six, you completely, you completely go rogue, change the entire strategy. I would start Rose quickly, Burks, 
RJ and Randall. So you have five guys in the rotation who can create their own shot and shoot, which would then force Trey Young to defend, and it would take Capella away from the basket because he would have to go to Randall. And you just hope that um, the Hawks aren't, don't see it coming, they aren't expecting it, you just catch them by surprise. And then you get to game seven, and in game seven, you figure it out. Um, hope that the MSG crowd and two days of everyone in sports talking about is Atlanta going to choke again, you know, repeat of the Falcon Patriots Super Bowl, of the Georgia College Football Final, the Braves choking the 3-1 season. I hope that's enough. What do you think? I think we got a long way to go before I'm comparing this series to 28-3 and the Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. That's for starters. Your point about attacking Trey Young on defense is super crucial. The problem is the Knicks don't have as many guys to go and exploit Young the way some other teams do. You know what I mean? Like, you got a guy like Curry, it's easy to do. You got a guy like Lillard, it's easy to do. The Knicks don't have dynamic guards to exploit Young, but you have to put more pressure on him defensively. And that is something they have clearly not done. And that's got to change. That, to me, is a major, major point of emphasis as I'm getting ready for this Game 5. I am going to make Trey Young work on the defensive end of the floor because he's doing whatever the hell he wants on offense. I got to make him work on defense. We got to load a chill. The return of the great Jerry Ferrara. Entourage, power, super Nick fan. It's great. Jerry and I now go back and forth during every single one of these games. He is a lunatic. I love it. He's like me. He's living and dying on every single second shot, rebound, defensive rotation, you name it. Jerry Ferrara is going to join us. My old pal and a guy I interned for many moons ago in a galaxy far, far away, the great Adam Shine. From SiriusXM, CBS Sportsnet, he's going to check in. So Shine, Jerry Ferrara, ton of voicemails, loaded day in New York sports. Where else would you rather be? New York, New York. Jerry Ferrara is up next. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So with the Knicks facing elimination, we're pulling out all the stops. Me pulling out all the stops means we're getting on the bat horn, the bat signal, whatever the hell you want to call it. The super fan himself, he's making his second New York, New York appearance. My dude, Jerry Ferrara. Jerry, I know we were going to chat Sunday, but honestly, I think it works better with you trying to calm the Nick fan down a little bit today, dude. So what's happening, man? I, I, I agree with you, JJ. I think finally we could say, like, I'm officially a friend of the show now, right? Like, yeah, friend official. of the show. No, nah, and you're on the elite list now of being one of few people to be on the show now a second time. You know, a lot of people, they've made their debut and we haven't heard from them. We haven't seen them since. You're kind of in elite category, my man. Well, listen, anytime I could be elite in anything, I don't care if I'm elite in checkers, I'll take it. So I'm very, very happy uh, that you said that. Yeah, I do think this is better timing, though. Uh, that loss Saturday was obviously brutal. 
Uh, and then I was going to try, we were going to try to connect after the game. And then I equate what my two-year-old and my newborn did to like what Randall and kind of RJ did. I needed them to show up after the game with a big performance so I could get on your show. Right. If the, if the two-year-old slept like an hour longer and the newborn slept, I was on your show Saturday and they just didn't do it. They didn't get it done. And that's why I'm here today. But we do have to calm some nerves today. Yes, sure. I don't think there's any doubt. So we putting your two-year-old and Julius Randle basically in the same sentence where it's like, all right, big boy, we got a newborn here. This is the first time we're going through this with your new kid. You got to be like the leader of the pack, the leader in the clubhouse. I need you to step up a little bit. 100%. And let's just say he did not answer the call. <laughs> he then went outside and went bulldozer. And he wanted to go see the construction site that's down the street. So he did not answer the call at all. So we got to work on that. But uh, yeah, listen, the only, the only game the Knicks have won, and I'm very superstitious, when they won, I literally held my newborn for the entirety of the second half. I was holding him in the beginning of the third when the Knicks went on their run and being superstitious, I'm not letting that kid go. And I held him the entire game. And that's what might happen. Are you thinking about doing that now for game five and getting scolded at and getting yelled at by your wife in the process? hundred percent. Like, I don't care if it's bedtime. This kid's staying in the, I'm holding him like a football. I have him tucked and we're watching this game because I, I, I know the Hawks have outplayed us almost every step of the way, minus a few quarters. What I saw in game four was just tons of opportunities missed and the Hawks take advantage of every opportunity they get. So I, I'm not saying I feel optimistic, but I do like our chances in game five. All right. What's been the bigger disappointment of you four games in Randall or the coaching? I'm going to say Randall only because like the, the, the coaching stuff, it's so hit or miss, right? Like we talk about the thing with Frank in game one, right. As a coaching mistake. But again, if, if Frank, actually forces him left into the help and that's a stop and we go on the win Tibbs is a genius wow the balls to put Frank in in that spot he took a risk it didn't work there there has been some real weird coaching things going on but it's just I'm not even saying I'm disappointed in the rant like I just think he's just it's just the worst timing he's hit this cold streak and it's affected every part of his game and then I, I was like writing in all caps to you on text where it's like Hit the dunker spot, man. Like, Well, and you kept saying it. Taj Gibson, baseline, find him. And, you know, the two frustrations for me, Randall kind of being passive throughout this series. The other thing, dude, Jerry, can they go at Trey Young in the pick and roll? The guy is a hideous defender. Now, I know the Knicks don't have a Curry or they don't have a Lillard. They don't have a Simmons. They don't have that sort of elite dynamic guard. But, dude... Trey Young can't guard me or you. You got to go at him, bro. Let's break this down because I actually have spent hours on the phone with Nick fan friends of mine trying I love to figure this. You're out. I love this. in the lab. I, I love it. I'm dude. dead serious. So it. don't take what I'm about to say as me saying I know more about basketball than Coach Tibbs because I do not. This is fan talk, right? But as a person who's watched basketball his entire life, okay, and has played at no high level ever. So there's the point of reference. But – in thinking about it and talking with all my Nick fan friends. Okay. We want to get Trey more involved on defense, right? How do we work him on defense? Well, you can't really do it when Bullock's in the game. Cause you could hide him on Bullock easily. Bullock is not a creator. He will not create. He's a spot up shooter, right? We know that. And you sort of can't really do it. I mean, you could, to me, the lineup has to be 
if you want to really try to work Trey, but you do sacrifice then with this lineup, Rose, RJ, Burks, Randall, and then Taj or Noel, because then who is he guarding there? All guys who could go to the coop, all guys who could exploit that matchup. When you have Bullock in there, as good as Bullock is on defense and as good of a shooter as he is, I, I, he's able to hide there. I don't want to say not going to beat you off the dribble. No, and I don't want to say not. bench Bullock because I love what Reggie's done for us. He he hasn't been shooting well in this eight on this. Well, after game trip. two, dude, he's done nothing. He had the great game two that saved their bacon in the second half. But Jared, the two games down in Atlanta, he was nowhere to be found. No, and I you know I, I just think that you have to maybe run that lineup because then who does Trey Young guard in that lineup? He can't guard Rose. Okay, he and then the key will be. And I, another thing I write all caps, but text it to you like how I don't know how the Hawks are never getting called for defensive three seconds. And we got called for it three games. It, Capella's leaving the minute Randall touches the ball and he is in no man's land. He is guarding no one. He is guarding a space. And it's not a box in one. People writing to me on Twitter. It's a box in one. He's not guarding the ball. Uh, so that help if, if we're exposing Trey, that help's going to come quick. The recognition has to be just as quick. Call me crazy. I want Obi Toppin to play more minutes in game five. I mean, dude, listen, as bad as he was throughout the regular season, I would argue, Jerry, he's played his best basketball in this series. And I'm not saying that, you know, you start him and that Randall's got to be sitting the bench and crunch that Randall's going to play. But Obi Toppin's got to play more, dude. They put him in the game and good shit is happening when he is in the game. Got to see him more, dude. Have to. I completely agree. And again, in screaming about that dunker spot, you know, if I'm, I would put Obi in with Randall and let Obi play center. I know on defense, that is going to be a big problem, but we have defensive problems everywhere with this team. It's not like we're playing lockdown defense and now we're going to put Toppin in and we're Well, and they got shooters galore. And this is the thing, Jerry, you know, I'm not an advanced stats guy where I'm doing the numbers. And I know people are saying the Knicks three-point defense from an advanced stats standpoint was not great throughout the regular season. This is where the stat geeks are probably pounding their chest because I've seen this entire series. The Knicks three-point defense has sucked. It's yes. been awful. And, you know, it, this is this is such an elementary kind of statement, but when we did contest, everyone's talking about, oh, the, the only reason why the Knicks won game two is because we went the Hawks went cold. No, we played good three-point defense in the second half, flat out. We challenged every shot, and they missed. I would love to see the Hawks' numbers from, like, considered open to mildly open threes versus, like, mildly contested to heavily contested threes, and I think that's the data. But Obi, back to Obi for a second, the way the Hawks are playing defense on Randall, there, to me, there is no way that Obi won't have eight alley-oop dunks if Randall's able to recognize the double because they're going to double off the top end, right? That's where the, t- the help's going to come from when Randall has the ball. What better kind of offensive threat to have, no offense to Noel, he's playing so hard and gritty. He's compromised. Taj is not an above-the-rim player. Put your high flyer in there and let him catch alley-oops in the dunker spot. I hate doing big picture stuff because this series is not over. Even though, listen, you're going to paint a positive picture. You're gonna That's what I do. To. I'm right. going to try to. The reality is I don't think they're winning three straight games. I want a moment. I don't want to see this team eliminated in Madison Square Garden. Because, Jerry, I equate it to a couple of years ago. I went to Yankee Astro game five where I was like, they're losing, they're cooked, they're done. 
They won game five. They gave me the glimmer of hope. And then Altuve hit the walk-off a day later. But I right. was like, all right, at least I'm not in the building to see this. Yes. That matters. Nick fans don't need to be in a building watching Trey Young smirking with the shit-eating grin on his face. Like, are you with the, before we get to, all right, the idea of the big picture and where the Knicks are, does it mean a whole lot to you if they win game five and avoid elimination at Madison Square Garden? Like, does it give you any solace? The idea that they, all right, live to die another day. For me, it does. I need a couple of days more of this basketball season. A hundred percent because basically we're in game seven mode the rest of the way, right? If if we're lucky enough to win game five, that's like winning a game seven. Because for us, it's it's all right, we're not going to advance, but it's lose and go home. And then we're, we're in that back against the wall situation. What better for young guys to get experience-wise than that? That is playoff basketball, right? You're playing in the game where if you lose, your season is over. And then you have to hear about that for two weeks, and then you can go on your vacation. So to me, for as young of a team as we have, I think all that experience is useful. I don't want to say like, oh, we win game five. The season is a like is great because I'll still be disappointed. But yeah, I first of all, defend your home court because what use is it getting the four seed if you're not going to hold serve? All right. They stole one in, on, in our place. We got to hold court. And then we no matter what, we always had to steal one in Atlanta. Just one. And we didn't do it on this first trip. You win game five, you get another crack at it. This team has been resilient. All year long, when just when everyone was always ready to count them out, like, okay, here comes the big Knicks slide that we're waiting for, where they're going to probably go lose eight out of 10. They've actually done the, the, the reverse and won like seven out of 10. Not saying that's what's going to happen here, but I, I by no means am, I am not optimistic and I feel like shit, but uh, I, I, still, I still do have hopes as much as the deck is stacked against them. And I think it's very valuable. You know, some of the Trey Young stuff, the idea that it's Jordan and Reggie, I was like, calm down with that, please. I mean, people people try to take it to an extreme, and maybe it's because, Jerry, they haven't been in the playoffs in eight years, so I think we're just trying to find villains, quite frankly. I'll tell you this, dude. Thinking about the Knicks long-term and seeing what Trey Young's been able to do in this series, that is exactly the sort of play the Knicks need. And I know they don't grow on trees, but a guard who can get to the rack at will, who can shoot it, who's built for the modern-day NBA. I mean, I'm watching him in this series. As much as I'm hating his guts, dude, I'm like, holy smokes, he'd fit perfectly on the Knicks, he's, dude. Oh he's my outstanding. God. Uh, several times, and and yeah, we are all Nick fans. Every text thread I'm in, we hate him, and we're talking shit about him, but it's all out of respect. Like, I, especially everything that's going on at the NBA games with fans and stuff, like, I talk a lot of shit. I have so much respect for the way Trey Young carries himself and plays basketball. Like he's good by me. I'm going to give him the business right now. If they do beat us, I, I'm going to enjoy watching him go play Philly that they would play. I'm yeah, going to like, I'm actually going to want him to torture them. Like he tortured us. Um, but yeah, like he's not Reggie Miller. Like let's, let's stop right there. And just like th these Knicks aren't that team, but as far as Trey, he, this is what I was talking about in all these text threads the lefty wraparound pass into the corner that he is hitting that maybe there's like a foot and a half of an opening. It's like five guys in the world who make that pass. It's like Curry, LeBron, Luca, Trey is now on that list and maybe like one or two others. It's, 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 it changes the whole, if he could do that, there really is no way to defend him. Cause you know, he could do the pick and roll pass. That's probably simple for him. You know, he could float, you know, he could hit the pot. Now he's dotting the corner to Bogdanovich from across the court with his left hand. That's that's other world stuff that he's doing.
Dude, are you having any reservations next year? Give a Randall a crazy max contract. I know I am. Now listen, I'm not saying I don't want the guy back. I'm not saying I'm not appreciative for what he's brought to the table this year. I think you and I can be real. He's never going to be the number one player on a championship team. He's just not. Doesn't mean he's not an all-star. Doesn't mean he's not really good. But I need to see this again next year, Jerry. Before I'm giving him five years at 160 or $200 million, I need to see Julius Randle do this again. Yeah, I, I'm with you. But it's also more like you were saying, it's great to have a player like Randall who has shown so much improvement and can be a creator at the four. Again, that's another thing where there's only a handful of guys who play the four at his size, right? There's a couple of guys who play four, but they're extremely undersized. Handful of guys who play the four and are creators and not just like, let me go get my points, bully ball, and play some defense or be a high flyer, right? Randall is that. I don't know how many championships you're winning if your main creator, unless it's LeBron, is a four, you know, like I'm with you. I think you need that guard, that smaller player who is a perimeter player who is also a creator. So as I'm all for giving Julius all the money, but he's got to have a partner in crime. And I think it is RJ to a degree, but that's not even necessarily the position I'm talking about yet. They need that point guard, you know, and it's Rose should be Rose is the going to be the best backup point card like in the history of the NBA. And I want to back on the team for next sure. year, Jerry. He has to be, and I don't know what kind of money he's looking for, but with his relationship with Tibbs and the way he's balled out this year, I want Derrick Rose back as Nick. Yeah, he's, I mean, I, honestly, I, I am so, I never thought I could actually be re-impressed with Derrick Rose. Like, I was so impressed with him when he came into the league and, you know, obviously his first stint with the Knicks, I was super excited for him and that didn't necessarily work out. I am beyond impressed with what he has done in this run. Like give him as much money as he wants. He's earned every dollar, man. He's been fa- phenomenal. I got a movie hot take for you, by the oh, way. Oh, let's I'm go. I'm very curious. You have no idea what I'm about to bring up. None. Rainy, miserable Memorial Day weekend. I hadn't seen Scarface in like 25 years, dude. I can't tell you the last time I saw Scarface. Jerry, I think it's overrated, dude. I do. I think it's overrated. Like, I rewatched the movie. Pacino's awesome. Michelle Pfeiffer's awesome. The end of the movie, dude, I know it's the say hello to my little friend. I'm like, not an all-time great. I just can't put it there. So, a bunch of friends of mine, this is years ago. uh, I I saw Scarface a million times growing up, but we may have gotten a little inebriated, and they nice. were showing Scarface at like the ArcLight Theater in Hollywood on the big screen as like an anniversary thing. So we saw it on the big screen. The end scene in theaters played so much better than it. I'm with you on TV. The say hello to my little friend moment played so much better on the screen. I think Scarface is one of those movies where, like, in stretches, and similar to you can make this as a sports analogy, in stretches, oh, it's like perfect. It's perfect. But then there's stretches where it's like Knicks in game, you know, third quarter of game four. It's like, oh, they can't buy a bucket right now. So I'm with you. Like, I think start to finish, there's definitely, it's uneven. But there are stretches where it's like, it's really entertaining and flawless. The ending, yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's it's definitely, uh, it just played better on the on the bigger screen when I saw it last. But I'm going to tee that one up soon. Spend a minute. Yeah, I just randomly came across it. I didn't like, you know, like Goodfellas, I've seen like 10 zillion times where if I see that on at two in the morning, Jerry, I'm going to watch it, dude. Exactly. 
Scarface, one of those movies where I hadn't rewatched it, so I kind of needed like the refresher. Pacino is a badass movie. Eh. Are you a Goodfellas or a Godfather guy? If you had uh, to pick one, if you had to pick one. If I had, oh god. Uh, so I'm gonna say Goodfellas. I'm with you there. And here's why. It's uh, more rewatchable, dude. It's more rewatchable. You know, like Godfather, it's like this epic for like three and a half hours. Like I'll watch a scene, but then like they go to Italy and it's like, eh, and then you got to kind of watch you know? part two after part yes. one. Like it I really agree. is essentially a six hour, one big six hour movie. Goodfellas was like the first kind of gangster movie that I watched when I wasn't supposed to. I, I, nice. I must've been like 11 years old. And, uh, we, one of my friends had it on VCR. So we just, every time we were hanging out in this basement, we had that playing in the background. So that's more part of my childhood movie watching than God, Godfather. I didn't get the full greatness of until I was like 18, 19, watching it with like my grandfather and like, oh, wow, this is like art. This is a, this is an epic saga, you know. 11, 12 years old watching The Godfather. It was too long. It didn't hold me. I didn't appreciate Godfather until I was much older in life. Give me Goodfellas, man. Give me Hendry. Hey, Hendry. Give me Hendry Hill. Before we get out of here, putting you on the spot, is there a game six Friday night? There is a game six. I like that. I'm like gonna that. go. I'm gonna get even it's bolder. Good for the show, for what it's worth. Number one, Jerry, it's good for business if the Knicks are winning, so we need that. Number two, I need more basketball to watch, dude. With the way the Yankees are playing right now, I need more basketball. Holy I'm completely shit. with you too. I mean, I, I was actually getting texts from like my, my Detroit Tiger friend, who I never hear from about baseball. Oh God! Like, I mean, listen, you're a Tiger it, fan. You sweep the Yankees. You got nothing else to be excited about. I would talk shit too. Right, but coming off the Knicks loss, like you're gonna kick me while I'm down. Shout outs to Justin Kroll. I know he. I know he listens to the show. He actually framed it like I'm not gonna get on you about the Tigers. I'm like, well, that kind of is getting on. Just saying that is getting on me, but I'm going to get a little, I'm going to get even bolder for you, my friend. And I'm in with you on locker room, win or lose after game five. If you well, want that's me. I'm you're, you. you're a man, man of the people. You're I'm a man of you. honor. I expect nothing less. My man. I'm going to say there is a game six in Atlanta. I'm also going to say book it. Mark Messier guarantee style. There's a game seven in New York. Wow. How about, and I don't know Jerry, what happens there a, after well, that. Jerry, if there's, uh, I'll, I'll take a step further. If there's a game seven, the Knicks are winning game seven. I just Let's don't go. think there's going to be a game seven. I love your optimism. I love your positivity. You don't Thanks see for it. Doing this, bro. <laughs> you don't yeah. see it though. <laughs> I love it, man. Maybe this is the Hollywood and you coming out. I don't know. Maybe you're just trying to put on a show for the Knicks fan. Maybe I like a good story. And that would be the best story. It, it going seven. And then whatever happens in game seven, that would be the best story. And that's what I'm, that's what I, I think is going to happen. The great Jerry Ferrara, bro. Talk to you in a couple of days. How about that? Double dip. I'll be with you in the, in the night game part of the day-night doubleheader. And uh, yeah, I'm already sweating and nervous. So let's go, Knicks. Great stuff with the GOAT. All right, dude. Jerry Ferrara. Coming up next, one of my old pals. I was probably one of his top five interns of all time at SiriusXM NFL Radio. The host of Time to Shine. My Syracuse brother, the great Adam Shine. Up next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Let's welcome in a guy I know very, very well. I interned for him 
in the summer of 2008. He was killing the game for Sirius XM NFL Radio. Now he is this national media megastar. TV time to shine. Mad Dog Radio. I, I, I don't even know what the name of your show is, but I know you're Adam Shine. What's happening, dude? What's up, JJ? What's going on? And congratulations on all your success. I I knew when I first met you in 2008, you were going to be a, a megastar. So congrats on everything. Well, I hope you bought some stock. I would have bought some Shine stock while I was at it, man. So I, I, I think from 2008 to 2021, you and I are doing a-okay. It's that Syracuse education, that's all. That's what it is. Listen, all, all part of the WAER Newhouse Mafia and... Listen, I've been following your career forever, you know, WFAN and obviously what you're doing at the ringer, which is great and always love, you know, texting you and following everything that you've been through in terms of the growth in in your career. So, you know, it's funny because it was my oldest daughter's bat mitzvah and she was born when you started interning in 2008. So I was thinking back to the spring and the summer of 2008. She, Jolie just had her bat mitzvah a couple of weeks ago. And that's when I first met the great Johnny Sremsky. How about that? Well, mazel tov, number one, to your daughter. Thank you. Number two, you are this New York guy through and through. And I was so fired up. I'm driving to the golf course a few weeks ago, and I'm listening to you. And I could tell. There was a little extra pep in your step. There was a little extra giddiness for you to be able to open Knicks and for you to be able to open Yankees. So as a guy who's doing national TV, national radio, but having those New York ties, does that fire you up that much more when you could talk a little local? Absolutely, without question. And, you know, it's funny. This kind of dawned on me with the Knicks' success this year and then obviously winning a playoff game for the first time in in eight years – You know, we started Time to Shine in 2015. I've never done a television show after a Knicks playoff game, let alone a Knicks playoff win. That's that's crazy when you think about it. And from a radio perspective, JJ, I've had to change a lot of my viewing habits. I mean, look, when you're a Knicks fan recently, right? I mean, when is it a national topic? when they don't win the lottery and it's a two-player draft and they get picked three or, you know, when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving choose Brooklyn over the Knicks, that's that's a national topic. Or, you know, Jim Dolan is arguably the worst owner in all the sports. That's a topic. I can't watch a game through the years of all these years hosting on Shine on Sports, Mad Dog Sports Radio. I can't watch a game and talk about it the next day. I could do that for the Lakers. I could do that for the Celtics. You do it for LeBron, wherever he's been. I can't do it for my favorite team. So to be able to do that this year and have the Knicks as a topic, Yankees are always a topic. Yankees are great. That's a topic. Yankees are terrible. That's a topic. I can do Yankees on radio and television, and it works nationwide. This is the first time in forever I can do Knicks. I can watch it. I can feel it. I can react to it. So, yes, I'm, I appreciated your text when you heard it. And I there was definitely extra pep in the staff because it's been a long time coming. Did you go into this series with the Hawks viewing it as house money? I, I'll put it this way, Adam. I picked the Knicks to win. Yep. I thought they would win. Yep. I grossly underestimated the talent of Atlanta because I think it's pretty obvious first four games in. 
They're flat out better. They are built for the modern day NBA. They got shooters galore. They have the best player on the floor in Trey Young. But for you specifically, will you still walk away, whether it's Wednesday night, Friday night, whenever, and they lose this series and say, good year? Or are you going to kind of have a little bit of a bitter taste in your mouth? Such a brilliant question. First of all, I picked the Knicks in seven. I, I, I thought the Knicks were going to win the series. I thought that watching them all year, Tom Thibodeau is a fabulous coach. I mean, I still think what he did in Chicago was, was unbelievable. The toughness, the way Randall played, the role player stepping up, the beautiful ball movement. Now, unlike you, I love the Hawks this year, right? I picked them preseason to make the playoffs. I, I love Trey Young. I have him on Shine On Sports, on Mad Dog Sports Radio all the time. Once Nate McMillan, who I thought Indiana screwed up by letting him go as the head coach, once McMillan took over and, and they decided to go on that unbelievable spurt, I think it was 27 and 11 to finish the season, I, I thought the, I didn't want to face the Hawks in the first round from a Nick fan perspective. The Hawks actually scared me because Trey Young's that good. The role players, the, well they, the way they built the roster, I, I was worried about it. I thought it was a flip of the coin series. JJ, if they lose, if the Knicks lose having home court, and Julius Randle is completely spooked and spit the bit this postseason. Look, the season's a success. The regular season's a success. The Knicks are back. You know, they have the attention of, of players, of agents. They could be a destination again. But, boy, this is going to leave a really bad taste and a question mark on Randall. I mean, Right before the playoffs started, I had Woj on, on Shine on Sports on Mad Dog Sports Radio. I asked him about Randall's contract, and he had just had Randall on his podcast. And, and he said, look, Thibodeau, the organization, Leon Rose, they want you know, Julius Randall long-term. Randall wants to be there. I mean, it felt like a foregone conclusion. Free agent in, in 2022, I mean, it kind of – it gives you a little bit of pause. I can't so, give him a contract extension right now, Sean. You I can't, can't do it. Because the worst thing for an NBA team is to be in that, like, purgatory. Maybe the Knicks haven't been a part of purgatory. Yep. But when you have no championship aspirations and you're, like, 37 to, like, 44 wins, Adam, is he a number two on a championship team? I, I He had a great year. I don't want to take away from him. I love the dude. But, like... I got to see this again next year, man. That's kind of where I'm at with Julius Randle. I mean, at this stage, it would have to be a deal that's favorable to the Knicks. And, and maybe Julius would want to sign it. I, I don't know his mentality, but we're exactly on the same page. So, you know, I was hopeful that Randle would play great. They would, because I I always believed going into this postseason, the Knicks matched up pretty well with Philly. Not that they were going to beat Philly. But I thought they could challenge Philly. The way they played defense, shared the basketball. You know, I'm not a big Embiid guy when the going gets tough. Ben Simmons can't shoot straight, right? I, I was all in on the Knicks beating Atlanta in seven and Philly beating the Knicks in, in six. That was my mentality. I'm with you completely on Randall. And now I think there's a little reality for, for cats like us, right? Where, you know, you look at Randall and you say, he's the three. Or what's the upside for R.J. Barrett? Can he, does he have that? And I thought Barrett really improved this year and had a really strong season. Man, this, this, this Hawks series, it better change in game five. There better be a game six because I, I love the regular season. I love Thibodeau. I love selfishly. I could talk about them again. 
My six-year-old son in kindergarten is obsessed. I love that it's a family affair in the Shine household. I, I, I can't stress the positive right now. It's It's been a nightmarish series for Randall, and I was so disappointed in the no-show in Atlanta. I'm putting you in fantasy land. That's what we do around here. Show. Yeah, I we like live fantasy in fantasy land, land New, York, yeah. New York. Who is the guy you want on this team next year? If you could live in Adam Shine fantasy okay. land, I got the, the guy. guy. I got okay. the guy. You want the guy? I fantasy do. land. I always want the guy with you. Always. Donovan Mitchell. That's the guy. Mount Vernon. I own. thought you were going to say Kawhi Leonard or Dame Lillard, but I'm okay with that. I want Mount Vernon's own Donovan Mitchell. I want Donovan Mitchell. He's tweeted up a storm about the Mets. You know, grew up a stone's throw from where I am in, in Mount Vernon. And, you know, he's I think he's a phenomenal ball player. Now, look, I, I think Utah has a shot to actually win a championship this I year. I do we'll too. What, I'm invested I, in Utah to win a title. Full disclosure. Just saying. Listen, I love I love that pick, JJ. I I said all year I thought Utah had a great opportunity to win a championship, and then Mitchell got hurt, and that kind of gave me a little pause. And, you know, I rolled with my preseason pick of, of Brooklyn and, and the Lakers. But Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he's he's a great player. He's a star. He understands New York. He would love New York. And I I don't want him, in theory, to leave Utah because, you know, I think it's a great story. Quinn Snyder is great. Gobert, you know, great, great sports city, history, Stockton, Malone. I think they could win it all. If I could sign up for one guy, Fantasyland, it would be Donovan Mitchell. Down the road, my fantasy guy is, is Zion. You know, like he that. talks about Madison Square Garden all the time. He should have been in it, let's be honest, if they actually got the right side of the lottery. But, you know, that that never you happens know, to Nick. You know what's crazy? And I remember thinking there was no shot we were going to get the number one pick. I, was, I went to bed that the night before the lottery. I said, just give me number two. John Morant would own New York. Oh, he would have been perfect in John Morant at Madison Square Garden would have been dreaming. It would have been just as good as Zion. Let's be honest. In a lot of ways, good. I think it would have been better. Well, because the, the league now is all about the guard. So That's if right. you have the guard, it seems like the rest of your team kind of flows a lot nicer. Zion, you know, he's kind of this freak. He's a stud. But modern day NBA, I'm taking the guard too. Okay, where are you at right now? One being the lowest scale of panic. 10 being the highest scale of panic for our beloved New York Yankees who are pitching great, but they can't hit a lick. They haven't hit all year. The manager's sitting Stanton and Gloyber Torres today. Explain that one to me. I, I mean, that will drive me to drink. Where is Adam Shine in his state of panic for his beloved Yankees? You know, before I saw your tweet earlier today on the Yankee lineup, I, I took the Yankee lineup when they tweeted it out. And I took the tweet and I sent a, a text to my buddy Stone, my childhood best friend who lives in, in town with me now. And I just said, are we trying? I mean, what the hell is that lineup? And on a scale of 1 to 10 panic level, I mean, it's, it's a 12. I mean, this, this is a mess of a baseball team. I, I'm sorry, but, you know, they're, they're unwatchable in terms of the approach at the plate. Injuries are a factor. Look, when Luke Voigt was going to miss the beginning of the season, I, I was really concerned. I'm a big believer in Voigt and the power source that he provides and the energy. And I like his at-bats. Torres is a mess in the field. It's impacted his offense. You know, Stanton, obviously, we know all the issues. 
LeMahieu has not had a good season. The approach at the plate is just, it's dreadful. It's pathetic. And listen, I live for the Yankees. Heart of hearts, my favorite team in all the sports. I'm obsessed with them. And I, listen, I had high hopes, JJ, this year. And I know the flaws and knew the flaws going into the season. But to me, going into the campaign, it was White Sox or Yankees for the team to beat in the American League. White Sox had those injuries before the season. And I said, all right, you know, shame on me. I thought the Rays took a step back in the offseason. Never count out the Rays, Sean. I know. Never. I you should know. know better. You're a smart guy. I figured you'd be giving some love to the folks down in Tampa. They, and they own the Yankees, too. Own they them. make these lines. And I would never bet against the Yankees because with you, that's my team. That's my yep. squad. Yep. I see the Rays as underdogs against the Yankees. I'm like, what is Vegas doing? They're like handing out free money, for goodness sakes. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, I, every once in a while, you have those thoughts of what would happen if George was alive. I mean, you remember there were three teams he cared about, right? You know, you couldn't lose to the Red Sox. You couldn't lose to the Rays. He's in Tampa. And the Mets. And the Mets. And the Mets. So can you imagine George Steinbrenner for a second? But, you know, and I still subscribe to the old adage, you don't check the standings in baseball until after Memorial Day. So the Mets are in first place with all their injuries. The Boston Red Sox are better than the Yankees. And Tampa is just destroying the Yankees. George would have fired Aaron Boone three times already. I'm still not over what happened last year in the ALDS. I'm, I'm still livid about what happened with Garcia and he didn't pitch. And it, that, to me, the fact that he was, they used an opener against the Rays when you're the big, bad Yankees, I'll never move past that. Because they were up one nothing in that series. Changed that entire momentum. They wanted to outray the Rays, Sean. You can't outray the Rays. It was crazy. I, I, I'll i never forgive him for that. You're the Yankees. Act like the Yankees. Cost them the World Series. Would have beat Houston. I, To me, Aaron Boone, I would have fired him after last year, after what happened in the Tampa series. He must be on the hot seat. And I mentioned the Yankees and Steinbrenner and obviously the Red Sox and the, and the Rays. You got the Rays and the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium this week. I mean, if the Yankees keep losing, and you ask me panic meter or a scale of 1 to 10, and it's way over a 10 for me, listen, I, I think Aaron Boone should be in some trouble here. Well, I, and think I, about this, Sean. Think about this. 2017, they're one win away from the World Series. And you're looking yeah. at the team. You see Sanchez, Judge, Bird, Severino, if you would have had this conversation with me after that ALCS, and I would have said four or five years later, the Yankees, forget about not winning a World Series, have not been to a World Series. They can't win the American League this year. It's a down year for the American League. Then they're never winning the American League with this group. And I love Cashman, Sean. He's my dude. I think for the most part, he's done a fabulous job of building the team. They're not in the World Series. I think everything is on the table. GM, manager, you name it. Everything is on the table. Well, first of all, I agree with you on Cashman. And sometimes I feel like, you know, we're we're two of the last individuals standing in terms of giving Cashman credit. And I think he deserves credit navigating New York and putting the roster together. And, you know, I, I think he's done an excellent job. But you make such a brilliant point, too. It's a down year in the American League. And, you know, it also drives me nuts when people say a manager in baseball doesn't matter. 
Go look at the Rays. With look, and look at and look at Alex Cora with the Red Sox. The Red go. Sox last year were an embarrassment. Cora yep. comes in, they have a sense of purpose. Something to be said for that. I totally agree. And Alex Cora, to me, look, and I, I still think you know the Astros detailed digital cheating scandal, second worst scandal in the history of baseball behind the Black Sox. I mean, I, I thought it was as bad as it gets. Say what you want about Cora there. He's a superb manager, and he is. I still don't buy the Red Sox in their pitching. I think they're going to crash back down to earth. But listen, if the Yankees can't make the playoffs this year, you're right. All bets are off. And listen, I'm still stuck on last year when it comes to Boone. I'm really stuck on last year. I will never forgive what happened against Tampa. And you summed it up perfectly. Trying to outweigh the Rays, that, oh, that's always going to stick with me, JJ. I think about your career. And one of my favorite moments would be me DVRing the Jet postgame show with you, <laughs> Costa, Ray Lucas, and the shenanigans that would ensue. Would you say, Shine, in all your years of doing that show, the highlight, the butt fumble, and after that game? Or are we talking about the dismissal of Tony Sperano in week 17 <laughs> with all the reporters Chasing poor Tony out of Buffalo. Like, you think about your run doing those post-game shows. Do you have a particular favorite? Wow. The roll call of the beat reporters. That, you know, it's funny. Obviously, that's a live post-game show. And, you know, they our producer showed the video of everyone just chasing Tony Sperano like it was just some, some sad, <laughs> sad, pathetic chase, you know, after another inept Jets game. And I just rattled off all the beat writers as if to say, I mean, the, these poor souls have to cover this this football team. The butt fumble one, though, that that's one of the, the craziest, most special shows or anything that I've ever been a part of in my career. I mean, that post-game show in New York had a we're with the band kind of feel. Like, there was, it was a rock star mentality. People loved that show. Hey, Mike loved that show. That's all you need to know. Mike was a big fan of you guys. Loved it. In all seriousness, and I've talked to Mike about this on several occasions, Francesa was obsessed with the show. Yes, he was. Mike was always a big believer, as you know, of he loves post-game. He loves news conferences. He he loves to analyze what someone would say, a coach, a a player after a game. He he would talk about the Jets post-game show. That we did on SNY, that was a big deal. I mean, if Mike, you know, gives you the stamp of approval, and Mike and I have uh, have had, I'm lucky to have a great relationship with him. Same with you. I mean, it it, it just it snowballed, and it was like you had to tune in to the Jets post game show, the butt fumble one. I mean that. That I mean, it's Thanksgiving night. We're all at work. You know, you're excited. It's going to be a nationally televised game. It's the Patriots. I mean, that and the chemistry that we had on that show, it was so much fun. I loved every single second of doing that Jets postgame show on on SNY. But that was the number one show, number one postgame show that we did in that incredible run. That was awesome. I always love tournament time. You get Jimmy Baham on the show. And I always am cracking up when it's the two of you guys going at it. You go back to when you did radio in Syracuse. Your career now at Mad Dog, FAN, you know, SNY, CBS, all over the place. Do you have a favorite Jim Beheim story? Favorite? That you can share on the air. I used to go to practice 
Okay. Joe Zone was a local sportscaster in Syracuse. Joe Zone had a hell of a career. He was in New York City for a while. He's in Connecticut now. Joe Zone told me when I first started, after I graduated in 99, go to practice and talk to Bayon. Develop a relationship with him. And I would do that. And the beauty of Jim, and I learned this early, is talk to him about anything except his basketball team. He doesn't want to talk basketball. Jim Beheim is the best sports talk show host that we haven't seen yet. The Jim Beheim podcast, whenever he retires, is going to be the greatest. Simmons po- should hire him. Put him on the payroll. Let's go. I mean, someone needs to do that now because nobody watches more sports and has more sports takes. So I think my favorite Jim Beheim story is I was at, at practice one day, and he he would listen to the show all the time. This is when I first started in 99, and we talked a lot of bills. Syracuse is an interesting market when it comes to football. You can do some Giants. You can do bills. You can do Jets. They have a Cleveland Brown base. Bayheim actually grew up as a fan of the Cleveland Browns, told me that on, on my podcast uh, a, couple of, a couple of months ago. Bayheim couldn't stand that I was pro Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie. You liked Rob Johnson over Flutie? I did. Sean, and I was going to give you credit for Herbert. I was just about to go there. And I was going <laughs> to say, my guy, Sean, he nailed it last year. Herbert's a stud. I couldn't have been more wrong. You liked Rob Johnson? I love, I love, I was enamored with Rob Johnson. What was it? The big yeah. arm? The hair? I mean, yeah. what was it, dude? Well, I mean, he does have great hair like he me. Does. He does. But I, I just figured Flutie was, it was a fad. It wasn't going to work. And and Johnson, I was enamored with the trade, the big arm. And Beheim would call me off air all the time to destroy me about Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie. I'm going to give you one more, one more. 1999, that was, again, when I graduated, I started in June of 99. Michigan came to the Dome, and it was Drew Henson and the Wolverines taking on Syracuse. This is right after McNabb left. We had beat them the year before in in the Big House. And Tom Brady was getting rotated in. If you remember that that season. Yeah, they were going in and out, in and out. In and out. And Beheim used to watch the games. I don't know if he still does, in the press box, which was just vintage Beheim. He wouldn't sit in a suite. He would insist on watching the I mean, certainly football used to be an event. He would watch the games in the press box. Brady comes in, he finds me in the press box and says, Tom Brady is going to be better than Drew Henson, which was not... No, that's absurd at that time. Drew Henson, baseball, football, everyone thought top five pick. Absurd. I mean, Drew Henson was going to be top five pick. And he called, not that Brady was going to be the greatest, that Tom Brady is going to be an unbelievable NFL player. And Beheim loves to remind me he predicted the success for Tom Brady. Classic Jim Beheim. How long is he doing this, you think? Till Buddy and Jimmy graduate? I think he's doing it until he feels he can't do it anymore. That's yeah. my sense, Sean. I mean, I, I agree with you, and I agree with that theory. I mean, first of all, Beheim's an unbelievable coach. No, nothing drives me more crazy than when people start ripping Jim Beheim. I mean, all the guy does is win and dominate. And listen, I mean, you have to get recruits to come to Syracuse. And I 20 like, degrees. You don't see yeah. the sun from November until April. Yeah, sounds about right. That's I mean, think about that. 
And, and I, I just think what he's done at Syracuse, if you don't appreciate that and celebrate that, I just, I don't think you're paying attention. I hope he stays forever. Listen, I, as long as he wants to keep coaching Syracuse, he can keep coaching Syracuse. That, that buddy Bayheim, Jim Bayheim story from last Oh, it was incredible. I couldn't get uh, enough. Couldn't get enough. Amazing. It made me Amazing. a couple of bucks in the process down in Atlantic City shine. I was like, <laughs> money line. I said, the hell with the points against San Diego State and the hell with the points against West Virginia. In buddy, we trust. Dude, he's lighting it up next year from three, too. He's oh, 45%. Yeah. He's going to be the big man on campus. Dude, it's going to be. I think we have to coordinate a Sean Jastrzemski Syracuse trip. I think we got to put oh, that on the, I, I on would the docket love it. here. You know, the last sporting event, I, first of all, I would love to, I think actually, were you at the North Carolina game? Yes, I was. I was. So, I, that was our last sporting event pre-COVID. Absolutely. That, that's the exact same thing for me. Last sporting event I went to, I still haven't been. I haven't been to Yankee Stadium. I haven't been to a Knicks game. That The last sporting event I've been to, was that game. And it was funny because, you know, I, I was lucky enough. They named uh, Dave Pash and Nick Wright and I are going into the WAR class for the Hall of Fame. We were supposed to have the induction in June of 2020. So my wife, Katie, said, you know, we have to take the kids. And she graduated Syracuse. We got to take them to campus before the AER Hall of Fame induction. And just being named the WAR Hall of Famer, I mean, that's the single greatest comment. Oh, it's amazing. It's, I, is there going to be an induction? I better be there, by the way. I want, well, I want to see make it's funny. Speech. I was actually going back and forth with uh, a couple people there last week. I, I think we, we, have, we have to coordinate three different schedules now. June 2020 would have been would have been great, but obviously things we know what happened. Whack. Yes. But going to campus and taking the kids there. Oh, I mean, and that was the day that obviously Brady was there and Edelman. Jimmy Fallon. It was crazy. It was nuts. But that was walking around campus with the kids. I mean, I, I got to get back to Syracuse. That was so much fun. Final one. As a guy who's now made a transition from doing radio nine years, doing the pod, I'm thankful, Sean, in many ways. It's been seamless so far. I feel like I've been doing podcasts for the last nine years of my life. Yeah. You, though, you did local radio in New York, like me. Then made the switch to doing national NFL and national radio. How tough a transition was that for you? You know, it's interesting. It, for me, it wasn't tough because when I when I was on FAN or when I hosted on, on SNY doing Loudmouths with Chris Carlin all those years, we would obviously have an emphasis on local, but you can do issues and you can do the NFL, you know, in New York. It didn't have to solely be Jets, Giants, 24-7, you know, you can dive deep into, into other things as well. You know, LeBron's always a topic, whatever it is. So, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't difficult for me because I think for some people, you know, they might not have had the passion for, for national, but I always did. Like, I, I love talking about Duke basketball, and I love all NFL and all baseball and all NBA and college football. So, for me, it was... It was easy. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, doing the shows in New York, I always talked a lot of national because I cared about a lot of national, starting with the NFL, which is always going to be the bread and butter of, you know, time to shine on CBS Sports Network and, and shine on sports on Mad Dog Sports Radio and the podcast. But for me, it was it was easy. Look, I always say when in preparation, someone will come to me because they want to hear my take on anything, right? That's the nature of what we do. 
but NFL and New York sports, you know, that there's, there's a history there for me. You know, if you're, if you're a Raider fan or if you're a Knicks fan, you want to tune in and, and listen to, to the radio show or subscribe to the podcast or, or watch time to shine. So, you know, it's very easy and natural for me. I, I love doing, I love the, I love Sirius XM. It's a great place to work. It's, it's got just incredible people, great popularity. Um, it reaches a, a massive audience, millions upon millions of people. You know, CBS is an unbelievable place to, to work. Love the platform of CBS Sports Network. And it's, again, with unbelievable people there. So for me, that transition was easy because I could still be me. And other than the Knicks for all these years, I could still talk New York sports as well within that, that national platform. And listen, I, I just... I, I wish the Yankees were playing a little bit better right now, JJ, because it, it makes me depressed that it can't be all. It's, the shows are better when there's a happy, I need happy, a happy, happy Adam joy, joy, joy approach. The Yankees win. That's what we need. I agree. A happy Adam Shine and a happy John Jastrzemski. The world is a better place. My guy. And that's your thing, by the way. We're on the golf course. I don't even realize half the time I'm doing it. I'm like, that's my guy so-and-so. Always thinking of Adam Scheid. When did that start, by the way, the My Guy? Is that something from the beginning, or is that like a serious thing? When did that become uh, in vogue, my man? I'm glad you asked that question. So the whole My Guy thing, right, which now we do a segment on Time to Shine, My Guy. Oh, it's a segment. I didn't even realize that. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. We can, we can do a segment, yeah. You know, and we on Loudmouth, it was My Guy, My Goat. It started on SNY where, you know, I have this unbelievable memory. Like, I can tell you the batting order for my, you know, new City A's team when we won a championship at the Little League, right? I can't remember anyone's name. So it, people at SNY noticed it, where I would just be like, my guy, I didn't know anyone's name. So I, it was an intern, probably the same time when you were interning at, at SiriusXM. And I was like, my guy, great to see you. And he goes, I'm an intern. It's my first day. Carlin loves telling the story without, you know, thinking twice. I just slapped him on the back and said, keep up the great work. And my guy was born from <laughs> that moment on. So when I say my guy, Justin Herbert, and I told you the Dolphins should have taken Herbert. I still can't believe they My guy, him. too, is going to be all right, though. You notice I dropped that in there. You're proud of you, me. You that. know I'm a Tua fan. Hoodie I Tua like, is going to be fine. Waddle, I'm a Tua fan. Fuller, they'll be okay. And that coach knows what he's doing, Sean. He's terrific. I voted Flores coach of the year. I'm not just a, a host of you great that, hand. By the way. Also proud a voter. I, I thought Flores was in, did an unbelievable job. My one concern about the Dolphins, I just don't want them to be the Celtics. I, I don't get that. I don't want them to have all these picks and not enough stars. I just I think they're close. This is a pivotal year for Miami. Bills are the best team in the division. Patriots were dead all last year. I couldn't believe people actually thought the Patriots were going to make the playoffs. They were the worst roster in the NFL. Patriots are back. They're, we'll find out the level, but their back talent-wise is a huge – I'm a big Tua fan, never going to be Herbert, but this is a big year for Miami. Thank you so much for doing this. Don't be a stranger. And whenever you feel the need to get all New York off your chest, I know you have a thousand platforms to do it, but you are welcome here anytime, all right? AJ, you're the best. I'm really happy for you, and it's an honor to be on your podcast. And listen, I, I knew you were going to be a superstar. You've got the passion. You've got the knowledge. You've got the voice. And 
listen, I, I enjoy following your success and your career, my friend. So keep up the great work. That's our Syracuse dude, the great Adam Shine. We got voicemails coming up. Big day ahead. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold, slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that I'm going to be going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. So it's very, very tough to kill the Mets when they had this very impressive winning streak going. That said, this ended up being a bad loss. Bad loss against the Arizona Diamondbacks. When you got a 4 nothing lead, when you're playing a team that is beyond dead, you don't want to poke the bear. And to me in this particular game, against a team that's before tonight 19-36 and 36 on the year, the Mets poked the bear a little bit. They had a 4 nothing lead. Dominic Smith hits a home run. He has three RBIs. And then... You saw it when SNY was coming back from commercial. And I had like 10 zillion things going on. Laker game was on. End of the Yankee game might have been going on. I, I'm losing track of time. The Portland Dame Lillard uh, extravaganza was going on. But I see Strowman going at it with somebody on the Diamondbacks. And I'm like, well, what in God's name is this about? And he's yelling and screaming at Rojas when you got a 4 nothing lead and the Diamondbacks stink. They can't get out of their own way. Marcus, you got to know better, dude. I know you're fired up. I know you're a passionate dude. I know sometimes emotions can get in the way. But when you have a team that is as dead as Arizona, don't give them any added incentive. And to me, clearly, Stroman going at Rojas woke up the Diamondbacks because they came back in the bottom half of the sixth inning and scored three runs. Stroman was throwing a gem, and he gives up a couple of runs, and he pitched fine. I'm not getting on Stroman's pitching tonight. It's just the idea of, you got a dead team, leave them. Let them be. Unfortunately, the Met bullpen, which has been so good, it's been lights out, had an off night. Edwin Diaz, blows his first game of the year, gives up three hits, gives up a run, and who knows, if McKinney doesn't make that error in right field, Maybe we're talking about the Mets winning this game. We'll never know. Diaz has been pretty good. Tough to kill him with the way he's throwing the ball this year. Rough night. It happens. But then the Mets come back in the top half of the 10th inning. McCann gives you a go-ahead hit. And they go to Trevor May, who has been pitching a ton over the last week and a half. I don't understand for the life of me how the Mets can't go to Lugo in that situation. If he's here, he might as well be pitching. But May comes in, doesn't do the job. Redick just keeps a double fair. And I thought it was fair for what it's worth. I thought it hit a little bit of chalk. They showed you a bunch of different replays. To me, there was not a definitive replay to go and, dare I say, overturn that particular call. Tough break for the Mets. You don't want to lose games to a team like the Diamondbacks when they're god-awful, but I kind of had a feeling tonight. Not only that the Mets were due, great Doug on Long Island brought this to my attention. It was like, I love the Mets tonight. They were minus 120 and the line didn't move. And everybody was pounding the Mets. 
Now you're a couple lots away from that being a winner. I understand that. But I thought that was one of those fishy, fishy type of lines that we talk about all the time. The Mets, red hot, minus 120 with Stroman on the mound against a bad Diamondback team. Sometimes Vegas knows, folks. Not all the time. In this case, they most certainly do. So, Mets got to go and win this series. The Diamondbacks stink. You got four coming up with the San Diego Padres this week, which is going to be a really entertaining series. Don't go into that series limping. Take care of business. Win the series tomorrow afternoon. So you had all that going on late night with the Mets. And how about the NBA late night basketball? Dame Lillard with probably the performance of the postseason. Isn't it crazy? Dame Lillard hits shot after shot after shot for Portland. Hits a shot at the end of the fourth quarter. Hitting shots in overtime. Doing this, doing that. I mean, an insane all-world exemplary game from Lillard. And yet, Portland doesn't win. Losing 147 or 140 in overtime. And shows you a little bit about the resiliency of the Denver Nuggets. Who, by the way, we know have lost guys galore, including Jamal Murray. To bounce back from Lillard, giving you 55 points, hitting back-breaking threes, not fouling up three. Denver's a gutty team. And as sexy as some of those Dame Lillard threes were, and they were very sexy, and yes, I was fantasizing, I'm not going to lie, about the idea of Dame Lillard maybe wearing a Nick uniform at some point in a not-too-distant future. Yeah, I'm going to dare to dream. My team's down three games to one. I'm all down the dumps about the Knickerbockers in this particular series. I'm going to dare to dream about Lillard as a Nick because that would be awesome. He's one of my dudes, one of my favorite players in the league. As crazy as some of those shots were, including that ridiculous step back three, the Jokic pass, I'm a sucker for that too. I'm a sucker for that too. That's got to be the game of the NBA postseason, right? It's got to be the game of the NBA postseason. 147 or 140, off the rails, off the charts. You survived 55 from Dame Lillard and still find a way to win. I don't know if that speaks to Denver's intestinal fortitude or it speaks to the fact that Portland doesn't play a look of defense. Maybe a combination of the two. Then you had Phoenix just smoke the Lakers, 115 to 85. And listen, it's simple for the Lakers. They need Davis. And if Davis is not going to play, they're in a world of trouble. The subplot in this game, though, the health and the status of Chris Paul, who went down again with a shoulder injury. And who the hell knows with Chris Paul at this point? It's like a game-by-game basis. That's really the way to look at it. But Phoenix now has two chances. Game six in Los Angeles. Game seven, potentially in their own building to knock out the champs. And I can tell you this right now. Folks, get me a purple and orange value the sun t-shirt, hat, pennant. I will be hooting and hollering all weekend. Starting Thursday night. And Saturday night, with a couple of cocktails, if need be, to get LeBron Davis and the Lakers the hell out of the postseason. Oh, that would be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Because I don't want to see the Lakers win again. Ugh. And I told you guys, Lakers, that's my worst nightmare. Do not want to see that in the NBA Finals. So, I hope Chris Paul's okay. And I want Davis to play. Because you know what? I'd love to see the Suns knock off the Lakers with Davis hobbling around the court. Now, you got idiots like Skip Bayless saying it's the biggest game of LeBron's career. I mean, I see stuff like that. And it's just, listen, God bless Skip. He's made a zillion dollars. He's made a name for himself. I mean, 
Uh, how are you going to tweet that? I mean, uh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. All right, folks, now it's time. As the Knicks get ready for winner go home game five, the Nets celebrate the fact that they're playing in the second round. The Yankees get a win over the Rays. Can they finally get their offense going? I know, it's, it's asking a lot. I guess I should just take the win and move on. It's not that simple. Not that simple. I'll tell you what is simple, though. Calling New York, New York. Getting in touch with the show. And if you've noticed, we've given you a boatload of content over the last two weeks. Pods Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Live locker rooms. We got one coming up tomorrow, right after game five. If there's a game six, we'll have one ready for you after game six. But if you want to leave a voicemail, and you guys know the way to do it, you call us at 917-382-1151. Simple, secure, entertaining. Let it rip. Voicemail time. Who's leading us off? JJ, it's Anthony and Syostas. You know, Yankees lose to the Rays 3-1. They score one fucking run, and they get five hits. It's their fourth, it's their fourth fucking loss in a row, all right? And then I have to hear from the manager after the game. Again, one run on five hits. I have to hear from the manager after the game that we had good quality at-bats. We were hitting the ball on the screws. I mean, I've fucking had enough of this guy in his post-game pressers. Do you think he understands the fucking joke that he's become in these goddamn press conferences? Does he fucking understand that, you know what, it's okay to come out once in a while and say, hey, we're playing like fucking shit, something needs to change. Are you ever going to hear from this guy that something needs to change? The only one I think in the last few days that I've heard that from is Judge. And that should be fucking telling because he's the only one that's actually doing anything with the fucking bat. I'm telling you, dude, Boone is the type of guy, Boone could have been on the fucking Titanic. And in the middle of the fucking thing going down into the water, he could say, well, you know, we hit the iceberg, but I thought we had good quality navigation systems before that. (laughs) Like, what the fuck, dude? When is this team going to realize whatever the fuck they're doing right now is not working? Even when they were knocking off win after win after win, it was a result of pitching. They still weren't fucking scoring runs. And this is the fucking Yankees playing in fucking Yankee Stadium, a stadium that supposedly this general manager built this lineup for. And I'm going to tell you right now, no matter what happens this year, even if it's a worst-case scenario and Boone gets fired, nothing changes. You know why? Because he's not the fucking one that built this team. This whole thing, this whole philosophy, this, this front office philosophy, as long as they are still in charge, and that's ownership, and that's the general manager, and that's everyone in his fucking office. As long as they are still in charge, nothing is going to change. Enough. Enough. It's one thing to fucking lose to the Tigers. It's another thing when you can't fucking beat the teams in your division, the teams ahead of you right now. And if you can't beat the teams ahead of you, forget the fucking playoffs. Anthony and Syosset coming out hot. And, I mean, that's like the equivalent... His analogy with the Titanic, hey, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, seriously, that's well done. That's, that's very, very well done by Anthony Zayasin. And I'm with you there a thousand percent. I think Aaron Boone is a nice guy. I think Aaron Boone is well-liked, obviously, by a whole lot of media members. The nicey nice act after these games is intolerable. It's insufferable. The Yankee fan doesn't want to hear it. It's becoming comical. It's not enjoyable to listen to. You have to understand how that's coming across. But remember, the Yankees brought Aaron Boone in to be this great communicator. They brought him in because he's going to work well with the players. He's going to be able to relate 
to the players. We heard this over and over and over again. That's all I heard. A little accountability would be refreshing. Just saying. Little accountability. Who's up next? JJ, it is Monday or Tuesday, June 1st. I just looked at the lineup that was released for the Yankees game, and I was so blown away because we still have Rugnet Odor batting second, Mike Ford batting fifth. And then I didn't even fucking realize, because I was so mad at that, that Stan's resting and Glaber's resting and Judge is DHing. Why the fuck isn't Bone playing these guys? We are about to get swept by the Rays and the Red Sox after getting swept by the worst team in baseball. I'm fucking sick of it. How much job security can one guy have? Holy shit. Figure it out. Figure it the fuck out, Aaron. Yankee fans are exhausted watching this team over the first two months of the year. I feel the same way. I'm exhausted after a win, for goodness sakes. Because when I saw the lineup, listen, my reaction was exactly the same. I went to Twitter. The first thing I wanted to do after seeing that lineup come out today, no Stanton, no Glaber, I wanted to tweet. Little I know, I get called out by a Hall of Famer who seems totally clueless and totally tone deaf to what the Yankee fans thinking. I'd love to hear Peter Gammons go to Yankee fans at stands and try to explain to them why uh, John Carlos Stanton and Glaber Torres are out of the lineup. When John Carlos Stanton's making $30 million a year and just missed two and a half weeks. Insanity. Absolute insanity. I got to tell you this. First two months of the year, they have not been a fun team to watch. The fundamentals stink. They strike out way too much. They don't score runs. They're fun to watch when Cole's on the mound, but they don't even score for him. So, first two months, kind of a blah kind of start. Just saying. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Ryan in West Babylon. I wanted to talk about how Aaron Boone got the Yankees' managerial job. What I don't understand is he never had any coaching experience, Little League, college, the minors, majors. I understand he had a big home run for the Yankees, and he played for the Yankees, you know. But think about this. There are so many coaches who are grinding in the minor leagues, and even the major leagues, as infield coaches, batting coaches, pitching coaches. How does someone who was a – an ESPN commenter just put their hat in the ring and say, I want to manage the Yankees. I don't understand it. And not only because they're not playing well at the moment, I'm just curious. I mean, the Yankees um, interviewed Carlos Belson. Wasn't Raul Abanez even an option? Doesn't make any sense. I'm just curious for your thoughts on how managers are now chosen. Thank you. It's all about likability. It's all about positivity. It's all about that sort of deal. The Yankees thought Joe Girardi was too rigid, which to me was a ridiculous narrative. It was a ridiculous critique. I know some are going to say, well, look at him in Philadelphia right now. Joe Girardi, in his final year as Yankee manager, took them to Game 7 of the American League Championship Series when they had absolutely no expectations of doing anything in that particular year. Joe Girardi was a terrific Yankee manager. The Yankees liked the personality of Aaron Boone. And do I think his baseball background with his family, dad being a big league manager, brother being an all-star player, Boone being a ESPN broadcaster, yes, but being a Yankee who hit a walk-off home run in Game 7 in the 2003 ALCS, do I think that all factored in 
to him getting this job? I do. I think a lot of people in that Yankee room like Aaron Boone. And I get that managers now in Major League Baseball have a different job description about him. But to hear that the manager, it doesn't matter, it's total nonsense. I'm sure I was talking about this with Kevin Cash, and I brought it up with the Boston Red Sox. Look at Alex Cora. The Red Sox were lost at sea a season ago. Cora comes back, they're a totally different team. Because he brings this sense of command to that team. He has a presence about him. Do I think Alex Cora has a lot more of a presence about him than Aaron Boone? From watching from afar? Absolutely. How could anybody argue with that? Saw Cora run circles around Aaron Boone in the postseason series, and his team's already won a World Series championship. And he's a cheater. I get all that. But the guy knows what he's doing. So I understand your skepticism with Boone. Because I have it now, too. The last two years, a whole lot of critiques, a whole lot of complaints. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Um, you're killing me. Um, here's what the thing with the Yankees. You know baseball. Baseball has ups and downs. The Yankees started, off, started um, playing bad. Then they had a great streak. Now they're playing bad. That's what happens in baseball. You're ups and downs, 162 games. It's not, a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. So, And they still have the second-best pitcher in baseball and call it great bullpen. Their hitting will come back to life. So, you know, that's how baseball is, as you know. So I can't let it – so what you, you say or a Yankees fan say, bother me because this is a long season. Let's see how they do in the postseason. So – and then we'll see how the chips fall from there. But to overreact for a little losing streak, I think too premature because you know they're going a big win streak again. They have the talent. So, okay, bye. Yeah, I don't disagree with the idea of sooner or later the Yankees are going to start winning some games. They won a game tonight. Where I beg to differ, though, is the Yankees have not hit at all. They haven't hit for two months. Even when the Yankees won, what was it, 16 out of 21 games? Look at the Yankee numbers. Batting average, run scored. Look at where they stack up in the American League so far this year. They have not hit. They won a whole lot of games because their pitching was exemplary. Their pitching was top-notch. This lineup is not hit. What was the struggle to get? Couple runs across, even in tie game scenarios tonight against Tampa. I don't believe in this Yankee offense. This Yankee offense needs work. This cannot be the team they run into the postseason with. It won't win. I'm telling you that right now. I didn't want to hear about Luke Voigt, too. It goes beyond Luke Voigt. They need some serious influx of talent between now and July 31st. Who's on a horn next? Yo, this is Chris from Atlanta. Love the pod. Just discovered you through Bill. I'm just going to say, no one's talking about how Atlanta always chokes away these 3-1 leads and how they always choke away everything from Super Bowls to MLB playoffs. So just trying to give you a little bit of positivity because I'm super negative as, a, as an Atlanta fan. Good pod. See you, man. Well, I appreciate that. I love that you guys are trying to equate 28-3 to to everything. That Atlanta always chokes, therefore Atlanta's going to choke away this series. Atlanta, what, the Braves last year were up three games to one? They lost to a more talented Dodger team. Dodgers were the better team. You could say they choked away the series up three games to one. I was surprised they were up three games to one, quite frankly. The better team won. 
The Hawks are the better team here in this series. I wonder if the Knicks will be reinvigorated playing at Madison Square Garden. I hope that crowd brings out the very best in them. I need to see something out of Randall. I mean, four games, he's been awful. I mean, he needs something out of the best player and the most improved player in the league. It'd be nice to see the Knicks get it going from the outside. And the key to me, early and often, attack, attack, attack. Trey Young on defense. Attack. Make him work. He's doing whatever he wants on offense. Make him work on the other side of the ball. Have to. Who's up next? Hey, JJ Tron from Long Island here. Please pardon my voice. Huge, huge overtime win for the Islanders with Casey Zika scoring. He had been on a milk carton for months, it seems. But one of the most shocking games I've ever seen. Boston with all the momentum at home. Huge third period for them. A disastrous one for the Islanders. And for the Islanders to steal this one, come back to the Cali at 1-1 is simply unbelievable. And, man, please try to have Mike Carver on again. It's disgusting. It's coming up. Thursday and Saturday at the Coliseum are going to be out of control. And I am so pumped right now, JJ. Thanks for taking the call. Let's go on this, baby. Keep this train rolling. Take care. I can understand why you have no voice. That was a thriller for the Islanders last night. A thriller. And when Boston ended up tying that game in the third period, when they go on the power play, they execute on the power play and they score a goal. With that crowd, with that wave of momentum, I did not expect the Islanders to respond. The Islanders are a very mentally tough team. They are very mentally tough. They're resilient. They have a whole lot of playoff experience. They're going to be a tough out in this series. Boston's the better team. My thought would be Boston is going to find a way to win this series. The Islanders will make them work. And I love chatting with my guy, the great Carver High, Mike Carver. We'll have to pop Mike on before this series comes to a close. We'll work on that. I know Mike likes coming on, talking to my, talking some beaks. My kind of guy. Last but not least. All important. Last but not least. Who's up? Hey, JJ. Mike in Westport. Listen, you know what? It's time to give the Islanders a little shout-out, don't you think? Um, and especially their ex-star, a little shout-down. Uh, they went, Islanders win three rounds last year. Toronto win zero. This year, Islanders win one round. They're in the second round with Boston. Islanders get, get, get swept out of the playoffs by Montreal. So you know what? I don't think Islanders fans are missing John Tavares anymore. And you know what? He could, t- he could put on his Toronto Maple Leaf pajamas and get tucked into bed and uh, watch Islanders playoffs games for the next three weeks or however long they last. Because you know what? Nobody misses him anymore. Thanks a lot. Bye. You think about John Tavares versus the New York Islanders. Who saw it going this way? John Tavares going to Toronto, being a part of a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of suffering. And the Islanders, what have they won? One, two, three, four playoff series in that span, in that time? That's culture. And that's what Lou and that's what Barry Trotz brought to the organization. There's an expectation now that they expect to win. That's what we love as a sports fan. When you have an expectation that you're going to run out of winning product, you're in and you're out, makes a world of difference. So let's set the stage for what we have coming up on Wednesday and what we have coming up on Thursday. In the NBA, look, it's pretty simple. Knicks standpoint, you want to take the Knicks to win the series, by the way, in case that's something that kind of suits your fancy. Plus 700 over FanDuel Sportsbook. Atlanta is a one and a half point dog tomorrow. These lines at Madison Square Garden have been super, super low in every single one of these games. 
Every single one of these games, the lines have been super, super low. I don't have a great feel on game five, quite frankly. And I haven't really had a great feel on this series. I thought the Knicks would respond to game two. I was right. I also was dumb enough to think the Knicks would respond to game four, and I couldn't have been more wrong. And Atlanta blew them out of the gym. Right now, if you're looking at the ticket number, 88% of the money is coming out of the Knicks, and 66% of the tickets is coming out of the Knicks. That's scary. That's scary. And the line has moved a half point. Now, maybe Vegas is moving that line a half point to try to draw in some Atlanta money from the sharp contingent. I don't like the fact that that line has gone down a half point. That will be a complete stay away for me. I hope the Knicks win, but there's no way in the world I'm betting that game. Zero chance. The game that I am absolutely going to bet, though, I will bet Memphis plus nine and a half against Utah because I think Memphis is going to fight. I think it's in their DNA. I think it's in their nature. They're going to lose, but I don't think they're going to go down and lose by 20-plus points and be non-competitive in the game. That's one I have my eye on. I also like Philly tomorrow. I know Embiid's not going to play. Everyone and their mother is betting Washington in that game. Everybody and their mother is saying, hey, Washington won a game. Russ, Beal, no Embiid, different team, yada, yada, yada. Then explain to me why the line has gone from Philadelphia favored by five and a half points to Philadelphia now being favored by six and a half points. When I see stuff like that, I immediately circle it and say, I'm going to go the other way. I am going to go the other way. And remember, we have a Sixer series bet that this is going to be under a six-game series. So this fifth game, for me at least, is rather significant to some. Rather significant to some. A couple of folks want to get involved with the beak talk. We always love a couple of folks getting involved from the wagering. Before we get to Jeff Money, who we got on the horn, Saruti? JJ, brutal weekend if you were a Knicks fan. I'm sitting here now, though, looking at the line for Wednesday night, which sits as the Knicks as a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Now, after coming off of those two blowout losses in Atlanta and watching how poorly the Knicks have played, my head tells me to take the Hawks. But when looking at the line, the line is telling me to take the Knicks. Now, granted, the Knicks have played the Hawks well at home, obviously winning in game two and losing on a teardrop buzzer beater in game one. As a betting man that you are looking at this game, for me as a Knicks fan, it's a pass because I do not want to bet on them and then have them lose and get eliminated because that would just be an awful night. But if you're taking this game, aren't you laying the point and a half of the Knicks or at least taking the Knicks money line? Let me know your thoughts. Thanks, man. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it because of everything I just mentioned. Everybody and their mother is betting the Knicks in this game. The breakdown I'm looking at is 66% of the tickets and 88% of the money is coming out of the Knicks. That's scary. And they're going to factor in the sense of urgency for a particular team. The fact that the Knicks have to win this game, Atlanta does not, they're going to take that into account when this line comes out. That's just the way Vegas operates. My Vegas instincts on this game tell me Atlanta. They tell me Atlanta, but I'm not giving it out as a play. I hope the Knicks win. I won't put a cent on this game. No chance. No way. Not going to do it. Not with the way this line's moving right about now. Could change 12, 14 hours from now. But here on the early morning of June the 2nd, it's a stay away from me. 
Jeff Money never has stayaways. He's rocking and rolling. What's up, Money? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. This is going to be for Wednesday, January the 2nd. I got one play, NBA money play. I'm going to take the Clippers minus the 7 over the Mavericks. As you know, the Mavericks blew their opportunity losing both games in Hove. They're back with the Clippers right now. They got the momentum. I think they're going to cover the 7 points. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. So, Jeff Money, you know I'm rooting like crazy for that Clipper pick. We hopped on the Clippers after game one of their series against the Mavericks. And I don't know if you guys want to go and dig this bad boy up on Twitter. I pointed out that I was taking the LA teams, both of them, after game one. And when the Clippers lost game two at home, I said, well, what in the world did I do? This has got to be one of the dumbest decisions I made in a long, long time. Thankfully, the Clippers made me look smart. They won game three. They won game four. Now they have a new lease on life. I don't love the spread at seven because it hasn't budged and it hasn't moved at all. And it's still a very untrustworthy Clipper team. Like, I don't feel great laying big numbers with the Clippers ever because I don't know what kind of effort and execution you're going to get out of them. I do think they find a way to win the series. Whether they cover the seven points, not so sure. They will find a way to win the series. So we got a loaded, loaded rest of the week coming up. And I kind of am giving you a sense of optimism one way or the other. Because tomorrow night, we're going to our locker room, which has been a massive hit. I mean, I've gotten so many tweets about it, so many Instagram messages about it. Locker room guys, download the app. We do a live show right after the Nick game. Live show. You can call the show. I have full control. I mean, we did an hour, give or take, after game three. And we took like 15 calls. It was great. I was in my glory. I was in my element. Like, I was so angry getting on the air. And then afterwards, it, like, put me in such a good mood because I was like, this is great. This is working out without a hitch. So we're going to have a locker room show after game five. So as soon as game five ends, download the locker room app. We'll be rocking and rolling. It'll be like New York, New York, Knicks, John G. Stremski, all that good stuff. Find it on locker room. Thursday, we have our podcast. Thursday night, rocking and rolling, hopefully getting ready for a game six. And getting ready for Yankees and Red Sox. Got a fun little surprise in store for Thursday night as far as the guests go. I think you guys are going to like it. It's going to be a ton of fun. A little surprise action. And then on Friday, if everything goes according to plan, it will be a Nick Game 6, Yankees, Red Sox, Locker Room. So got it? Locker Room Wednesday, Podcast Thursday, Locker Room Friday. You know where to leave a voicemail? You know how to download the pod, Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. Fellas, great work on the other side. JJ, signing off. We chat manana. Be good, everybody.